Well, hello there, and welcome to the official Trending Now podcast. Yeah, your favorite show, Monday to Friday, 7 p.m. on CHCH, is now in podcast form as we recap the week that was on Trending Now. Louis Butko here with you. Thanks for joining us wherever you found us. We're glad you're here. Uh, and again, this is the official podcast of Trending Now and uh, lots to get to in uh, the week that was. Also coming up, we'll be joined by Kelly Patello. She, of course, is hosting uh, as uh, Nicole Martin uh, is away on a maternity leave. So Kelly Patello hosting, and we'll be joined by her in just a little bit. We'll also be joined by Manisa Danabalin. She is the reporter this week on Trending Now. Uh, lots to get to with them coming up on today's show. But really, this is episode one. So uh, we appreciate you joining us and uh, and make sure you subscribe. So you never miss an episode of this show and make sure to check out trending now on all of the various social media platforms, including TikTok, including YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and anywhere else on uh, social media. Uh, let's look at the week that was, and let's start on Monday where it's likely no matter where you were, everybody was talking about the Super Bowl and maybe the Super Bowl or the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, let's get to start with the game. Uh, where the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. to uh, Patrick Mahomes was named the game's MVP for the second time in his career. He was the first player since 1999 to win the MVP, the league MVP, and the Super Bowl MVP in the same season. Uh, maybe you were watching it for the football. Maybe you were watching it for Rihanna. Yeah, Rihanna hit the stage for the first time in seven years playing the halftime show. She also revealed that she was pregnant and then confirmed that news after the show. Uh, how about this? An average of 113 million people watch the game in the U.S. That's the most since 2017. And it peaked at 118.7 million during the halftime show. Meanwhile, in Canada, though, that trend continued as 8.6 million people tuned in. And the halftime show? Peaked 11.8 million tuned in to see Rihanna. Also happening on Monday, everybody was still talking about those downed objects that were shot down from the sky as three more were shot down over the weekend across the U.S. and Canadian airspace. Uh, one, of the, one off the coast of Alaska on Friday, one in Canadian airspace in the Yukon on Saturday, and one spotted over the Great Lakes on Sunday, right near Tobermory. Uh, on Thursday this week, though, U.S. President Joe Biden said the objects were no danger to national security, and he promised new rules to govern the skies. On Monday, Kelly was joined by Alistair Edgar from the Balsili School of International Affairs to talk about the unidentified flying objects. Professor, what's going on with these unidentified objects? What do you think they are, and who do you think sent them? Uh, Mixed offenses to that. Um, what we know about the first one and what we know less of about the second, third, and fourth that have recently been shot down. Um, the first one, the massive balloon that was 200 feet high with a, an attachment that was the size of three school buses attached to it. Um, and people don't get the scale of this. This was huge. Um, that balloon we know uh, was from China. Uh, they argued that it was a weather balloon that had gone off course, which is nonsense um the scope and scale and what was found um on it when when it was investigated by aircraft i mean it had an array of radar sensors um 
you know, communications, um, intercept equipment, stuff like that on it. Um, so that one really was a, it was a spy balloon. And the second, third and fourth objects were somewhat smaller, um, still a good size, um, but smaller uh, at a lower level. Uh, at least two of them, we believe, were not, um, did not have propulsion mechanisms. Um, but it seems like they all, in one way or another, uh, are um, more than likely to be some form of communication monitoring balloons. When we hear UFOs, many of us think aliens. We heard officials say today that that's not the case, but still there are many questions. As a matter of national security, do you think Canadians and Americans will ever be given a straight answer as to what's going on? Never 100%. Um, but if the government wants to put pressure on China, for example, and embarrass it somewhat, um, they might give more information if the uh, U.S. government is trying to persuade China not to give as much support to Russia and therefore doesn't want to embarrass or alienate China, they may give less. Um, so um, it depends in part on the purpose of, of the information that's being given. Top officials say the likely reason as to why there have been so many objects spotted in the last few days is because they're keeping a closer eye on the skies after that Chinese spy balloon. Is it possible that these objects have been flying above us for much longer than we've known about? Sure, much longer than has been reported, uh, in, if you want, in the press, in public, much more. Um, now, I'm not a high-tech guy in terms of um, NORAD's monitoring but from what i understand given the um chinese the first balloon the big one um norad is now reporting on more so they're norad is there to look for incoming missiles right that a balloon is not a norad threat um but now norad is reporting on the balloons because they are surveillance issues and and they've been told to look out for them and report them so um i don't know whether there's more balloons. Certainly NORAD is now more willing to report on them. And what's really different is we're now more willing to shoot them down. That That is the big difference, I think. Um, we're, whether that's because we want to demonstrate to China or others that we're, that we're willing to do it, but we're, DOD knows that they're there, but now we're willing to send up uh, aircraft and fire a Sidewinder missile at them. Again, that was Kelly with Alistair Edgar from the Balsilli School of International Affairs. All right, moving on. Tuesday was Valentine's Day, uh, a day to celebrate love, of course. Uh, but we were also learning more about a Monday night mass shooting at Michigan State University where three students were killed and five were critically wounded after 43-year-old Anthony McRae opened fire. Uh, he later died from uh, what police say was a self-inflicted gunshot wound as they were closing in on him. Uh, the attack, the 67th mass shooting in the U.S. in 2023 alone, that's according to Gun Violence Archive, and it came just hours before the five-year anniversary of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida. That one claimed 17 lives. Uh, Kelly was joined by an expert, in mass violence, criminologist Sarah Daly 
to discuss it further. Sarah, another horrifying mass shooting at a school. And as always, we heard officials sending out their thoughts and prayers, as well as others calling for stricter gun control. Is stricter gun control something that will simply never happen in the U.S.? Because certainly there have been enough deaths to foster change that just doesn't seem to be coming. You know, given the pattern that we've seen for the past two, three decades, I'm not optimistic about it. But I think there is so much uh, support for change that it's necessary. And I don't know at this point how many deaths, how many injuries, how many lives need to be altered by this before politicians take notice. So I think this is going to take collective action from large groups of people to make things worse because we keep saying not one more and then there are new ones every day. And this is frustrating and everyone is sad and angry. And when we see students and children and people who are now experiencing this multiple times in their lives, something has to be done. There has to be a breaking point. Police say the gunman died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Can you walk us through what a murderer in this situation would be thinking to kill others and then kill themselves? What could be a motive for something like this? Typically, what we know about uh, law enforcement and first responder uh, actions in an active shooter situation is that they will shoot to kill um, in, with the attacker. And so we can assume pretty safely that anyone who is thinking about this or planning to do this will be suicidal before they go into this. But this is almost a symbolic act that this isn't, you know, a single target or retaliation or revenge, that this type of act is um, an act of chaos and and uh, just harm, mass harm, uh, before they, they either die by suicide at their own hand or um, at the hands of the police. It's only February, and the U.S. is reeling from dozens of mass violence incidents. Today marks five years since the Parkland school shooting that killed 17 people. Do you feel like Americans are becoming desensitized to this violence? I don't want to use the term desensitized because I think we're all kind of rightly shocked and horrified and saddened every time that it happens. But I think that we we bounce back from it quicker. So, you know, the next thing will be in the news tomorrow or the day after. And unless people were kind of intimately traumatized by it, they're a part of the MSU community or otherwise, people tend to move on a little bit quicker. But I think with the rapid pace at which we're seeing these, um, hopefully that will be a call to action. But I think we're all just collectively exhausted by this. And we don't know how to to sit with this trauma, because if we did, I think it would be debilitating. Continuing on through the week, former South Carolina governor and ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, announced her bid for the Republican nomination for president in 2024. She became just the second declared candidate joining former President Donald Trump. The 51-year-old initially planned not to run against Trump. There's tape. You can hear her say, I'm not going to run against Trump. But she recently told him that she had changed her mind and uh, she was going to run. According to a uh, Reuters Ipsos poll that was released on Tuesday, Haley got just 4% of support from registered Republicans. That's behind Trump's 43%. And uh, not declared, uh, but possible, likely, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who got 31%. Kelly was joined by Gunnar Romer from the Political Action Committee. That's a a PAC. 
You, you may hear that term a lot in the next couple of years if you haven't already, but Political Action Committee, the PAC, a super PAC, uh, he was from Republicans for Accountability Project uh, to discuss how Haley stacks up against other nominee hopefuls. Gunner, what do you make of Nikki Haley's bid to run for U.S. president in 2024? Where does she stand with the Republicans, and do you think she has a shot? Yeah, I think the the main thing about Nikki Haley's candidacy is, first, uh, she has a very impressive personal background. She has uh, foreign policy experience. And I'd say that you know, if this were a Republican primary, presidential primary, 12 years ago, 16 years ago, she'd be a leading contender. But right now, I think the problem with Nikki Haley is that she has no clear constituency. And uh, what the Republican primary base wants is, I think, a little bit different than what Nikki Haley offers. Now, we know she's running against former President Donald Trump. How do you think her platform will differ from his? Anything that sticks out as particularly problematic for you? Yeah, well, she's going to lean into both her experience as a uh, former governor of South Carolina and uh, as well as being the ambassador of the U.N. under the Trump administration. I think the problem is, and we do focus groups all the time. We recently did a poll, too is that her name doesn't come up organically like someone, obviously Donald Trump is universally known, but Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's name pops up frequently. Uh, and I think that Nikki Haley, you know, her name just doesn't come up organically in the same way, right? We have to ask, uh, what are your thoughts about Mike Pence or Mike Pompeo or Nikki Haley? And you do have people go, oh yeah, I like Nikki Haley. I think she's good. But I think the, the thing that we're seeing in our focus groups and, and as well as our poll is that uh, she had about high 40s favorability rating. Less than 10% of people had an unfavorable view of Nikki Haley. About 20% didn't know. The other 20 had no opinion about her. So there's some room for Nikki Haley to grow. But the thing is, you had Nikki Haley having favorables in the high 40s, yet on a 10-way ballot test, she only pulled in 4%. So, you know, it's one thing to like a candidate, but it's another to feel so intense about a candidate that you want to vote for them. I think that that's the problem that Nikki Haley has right now. I think that her time as uh, governor of South Carolina, what she did in terms of her response uh, to taking down the Confederate flag, these are the sorts of things that are going to be raised as she's a candidate. And the, the one thing that we're waiting to see is, does Donald Trump choose to go after Nikki Haley or does Donald Trump not and actually you know, enjoys her candidacy as he as she could potentially take away votes uh, from Ron DeSantis. And we saw what happened in 2016 when you have a bunch of Republican candidates running. Donald Trump has a grip right now. I think that he's the weakest he's been in the Republican Party, but he still has, you know, about 30 percent of Republicans who would follow him. Even to uh, in our poll, we saw that 28 percent of Republicans would vote for him as an independent independent candidate compared to uh, if Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis were both the Democratic and Republican nominees. Do you think Haley will be the person to unite the Republican Party and voters? We'll see. I think a lot depends on what uh, what happens with Ron DeSantis. If he chooses to run, he is the clear right now alternative to Donald Trump because he's able to sort of toe the line between, you know, being his own sort of Republican firebrand and, and also being MAGA uh, enough and stoking those culture wars. So I think that uh, we need to see what happens with Ron DeSantis. And the thing about DeSantis, however, is he is untested on a national stage. What does the what do the dynamics look like if Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump are on the same debate stage? We saw what happened uh, in 2016 when Donald Trump went after each candidate one by one and took them down. Oftentimes it happened on the debate stage. As the week continued, we continued to deal with the fallout of John Tory's resignation as the mayor of Toronto, 
last week after it was revealed he had an extramarital affair with an employee of his uh, who is working in the mayor's office. Tory announced his resignation Friday night after the Toronto Star had broken the story, but he stayed on to make sure that his budget, which was enacted with his new strong mayor powers uh, that were handed down from the province late last year, uh, he had to make sure that his budget was passed. And then it was after that. Uh, late Wednesday night, he announced that he would resign as of Friday, as of today, 5 p.m. And uh, Kelly caught up with crisis communications expert Julie O'Driscoll on Thursday's show to grade how Tory handled the initial announcement and the fallout. As a crisis communications expert, what did you think of his speech and how would you have advised him? I would have told him, you know, you take accountability for it. I would have um, probably pulled away less from the actual relationship and more um, pointed more towards the work he's doing at the city. I, I don't think you want to, you know, draw a lot of attention to um, what he did. Obviously, a terrible, terrible um, error in judgment. Um, but from the perspective of what he said, I think uh, he should have. I mean, I, I don't think he should have resigned. So I think he needed to focus more on the challenges ahead for the city and and what he needed to do to continue that work. I think he took something that uh, was a spark and, and took a blowtorch to it and made it a fire. Um, I think the statement from his lawyer to the um, Star Story probably would have been sufficient for Friday night. See how the story plays out over the weekend and then make some decisions Monday morning. Uh, instead, it it sort of left this vacuum over the course of the weekend for the different camps to start talking um, and providing opinions. And um, it added a lot of confusion and chaos to the weekend. From a professional perspective, is having a consensual affair reason enough to resign as mayor? Do you think he could have just apologized and stayed on? I think he could have survived it if he did it, for sure. Um, I, I think as politicians, um, we need to again, do not have an affair with your with a staff member. Um, she hasn't filed a complaint to my knowledge um, and and she wasn't working for him as of last week. I'm not sure when she started her other position, but at the end of the day, he took accountability for it. he he apologized. Um, and Toronto needs somebody who can competently work with all levels of government. And John Tory was effectively doing that. From the perspective of what's going on in the city of Toronto right now and some of the decisions that have to be made, uh, he took accountability for it. I'm sure uh, he had to have a lot of really uncomfortable, honest conversations on Friday afternoon. Um, and uh, I think from the perspective of the city and, uh, and the decisions that have to be made right now as far as transit and infrastructure, housing. Um, they needed a steady hand right now, and I think um, a lot of that's sort of been thrown into chaos right now. What do you think is next for John Tory? Is his reputation, besides this affair, good enough to land him another high-profile job, or do you think he'll retire? I don't think John Tory is the type of man who will ever fade into retirement. Um, he's had a lot of public-facing jobs. He sits on the board of a very, you know, big public company. Um, so I think John has a, you know, obviously a promising future ahead of him. I think uh, resigning last night, I think seeing through the budget, making sure that happened and and came to a conclusion, I think is the, the first step for him in rehabilitating uh, his public image. Um, and 
And as I said, yeah, I don't see him as somebody who fades into retirement easily. That was Kelly with Julie O'Driscoll chatting John Tory. And speaking of Kelly, very pleased to be joined with her now to discuss today's big story. As the Public Order Emergency Commission has concluded, the federal government met the threshold for invoking the Emergencies Act to end the Freedom Convoy protests and blockade. And uh, Kelly, you've been working this story all day. Um, what do you take away from this? Well, hey, Louie, first hey. of all. Um, yeah, really big news today. It's been almost a year in the making, like almost a year today, um, a year ago, Trudeau, you know, implemented the Emergencies Act, which was immediately met with so much backlash. Um, really big day for him. Obviously, he spoke about it today as well. And, uh, you know, he met the threshold for imposing this. So obviously, good day for him and the liberal government. But yeah, lots of backlash immediately following this. And people really wanted to know how he could do something like this, you know, and if it was justified. So that's when the inquiry started, heard from like 76 witnesses, 50 experts. And Trudeau himself um, testified at this inquiry and the goal was to be transparent about what happened and why it happened. And yeah, the findings today were that Trudeau was right and he implemented it and should have implemented it. So Yeah, and there was a, a little bit of a shot at the Ontario provincial government and that's getting some reaction. I'm, I'm sure uh, it's going to be played out. In, in terms of the rest of the week... What else do you think we're going to remember this week by? I mean, it was it was packed, and it's. I know you do that. You you got so much stuff in just that half hour of, of show. It, a lot of it flies by. But what are you going to think back this weekend and think? Wow, like that really happened. <laughs> well, I think definitely this week is John Tory's last yeah. week. Today's his last day as mayor, and wow, what a bombshell! What a scandal that was last week. And, uh, you know, he's he's going to be making some remarks today. It's his last day in office. And I think we're going to remember this week as the week that it all went down. We heard some crazy things that I don't think anyone was expecting. And, yeah, so I worked on that yesterday and I went and, you know, kind of did a recap of his career. He's had such a remarkable career. Yeah. And it's uh, it's it's kind of sad that he's going out in this way. But, yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a week for yeah. John Tory. <laughs> yeah, and uh, to that point, I was here Friday night when the news broke and we were all looking around at each other and it's it's a little bit quiet here letting our listeners know that, you know, Friday nights are yeah. not the mm -hmm. hub of activity here. Uh but as soon as that happened, uh, everything really came to go. Uh, I know you're busy getting ready for today's show. So thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it and uh make sure to subscribe to this podcast, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I will. Thanks, Louie. <laughs> My thanks Kelly Patello for joining me on our very first episode of the Trending Now podcast. And my thanks to my next guest, who's been a reporter all week, Manisa Danabalin. Manisa, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Louie. You're technically the second guest on the podcast, but still not, not a bad number to be. <laughs> you, you, you're going to say something about being number two, aren't you? You're going to say something about being number two. Hey, listen, I, I'm I'm fully, I was ready for the joke. You can, number two. <laughs> and that's how the podcast goes. This is the podcast. This is the show. Okay. Yeah, this isn't the show. Joke about number two. Why not? It's our show. We can do whatever we want. Um, how, was, how was your week? 
my week has been pretty great, actually. So I've got a mix of stories this week. So there's a couple of serious stories. Like today, I'm covering the conflicts in Haiti. And yesterday, I was actually covering the New York Times coverage and the mm. um, backlash that they're going through uh, for the way they have been writing pieces on covering the transgender community. That's the J.K. Rowling article and the reaction to defending J.K. Rowling. That that was that story, right? Yeah. So that there was like actually other articles in the past that kind of got the backlash and the the issues going. Yeah. But then that article specifically came out after they actually sent the letter, okay. and yeah. then New York Times came back with the a response to the media. And then after that, they put that article out, which just yeah. kind of makes things worse a little bit. Yeah. But um, a couple other stories, like the other two stories that I've done this week was a little bit more fun. Yeah. I got like a Valentine's day story and how it's more like a consumer driven celebration. And when I was kind of researching into that, I actually found out about the deep, scary history behind Valentine's day. Yeah. Um, you didn't know <laughs> that this is the, uh, the uh, St. Valentine. Did weddings in secret? Like, is that that's the background, right? What's what's no, okay. actually, I found right. out about the Roman tradition, the uh, Lupercalia, okay. Um, <laughs> which is so you were worried not- about saying number two, but you, you were worried about saying number two. <laughs> But you can say Lupercalia without any wrong? issues. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't, what, what does the word mean? So, it's actually you did the story, it's. Let's not even go there. Okay, <laughs> all right, sure. Okay, go check out the story. It's on the Trending Now YouTube page. It's in the background, right? Is it, is it, did it make the story? Yes, Yeah, yes. okay. It's, yeah, of course it made the story. Everything yes. is covered in there. All right, so Trending Now YouTube is where you can find Manisa's uh, Valentine's Day story if you haven't already seen it or anywhere on social media. Uh, and the one thing we were also talking about was uh, the Super Bowl. I mean, everybody was talking about that Monday. Yes. So the Super Bowl was kind of fun because even on Friday, I had like a story. I covered a story about the ads and the millions of dollars that's actually being spent yeah. on those ads. And then, you know, I watched the Super Bowl on, on the weekend too, saw those ads. Pretty fun. Yeah. And then Monday came along and it was like a wrap up of the Super Bowl. So that yeah. was pretty fun. Did you have out. a favorite uh, commercial? Yes. My favorite commercial is the Binky Dad commercial for Kia. You remembered her favorite Binky, right? Binky. You forgot the binky? I forgot the binky. Tragic. Hashtag binky. So that's dad. the one where like the dad, it was just like an ordinary guy. <laughs> and like he goes to a resort with his family and then the wife was just like the or the mom was just like, Oh, did you remember her binky? Cause like the baby starts crying. Yeah. And then he starts like rushing back through mountains and stadiums and he goes and gets the binky and then he got the wrong one. So that was kind of funny. There was one commercial for dog food that I saw. So the USA Today did their ad meters. um, And uh, so they, you know, measure the ads, basically get people to watch them and rate them. It was a dog commercial uh, with the life of a dog. I watched the first five seconds and I realized where it was going because the girl was getting older and the dog I was like I can't watch this like it's mean like, that was sad yeah when I was like looking at all the ads to like put in my pack I was yeah. like I'm, I'm gonna avoid this one it was the number one ad though based on reviews I'm like I, I get it you're talking at the heart I can't do that I'm like I would have been crying if I, I haven't watched the whole thing because I would have been crying by the end of it yeah I actually had to pause it 10 seconds through but yeah. you know what which one actually that I'm now that I'm rem- remembering is the Crown Royal one. Mm, Thank you, Canada. Because the amount of times that we just get like 
dissed <laughs> from across the border. It's crazy. So I told you about that one last week. And I'm like, have you seen it? It's a Dave Grohl one. And you were like, you were shocked by the amount of things that were Canadian. Like egg cartons? Yeah. And replays? like Paint that's rollers? Paint rollers, yeah. the wumpy cushion. That's That was my favorite one. The <laughs> uh, Manisa, thank you for being number two. Thank you so much. Number two is the best, Louie. We can't live without it. Just saying. That is Manisa Danabalin. Uh, my thanks to her for joining me. My thanks to Kelly Patella for joining me. And my thanks to you who is listening to this because uh, this is the first episode. And if you found us and you made it all the way through, then thank you. Uh, this has been the Trending Now podcast. Make sure to check us out on various social media platforms, including on YouTube, the Trending Now official YouTube page. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe wherever you found this episode to catch the next one. I'm Louis Bacco from CHCH. Thanks for joining us here on today's Trending Now podcast.